This episode is brought to you by Trainer Road, cycling's most effective training tool. Pair your power meter or use virtual power with over 800 workouts and 80 training plans to make you a faster cyclist. Visit trainerroad.com forward slash SPC to try Trainer Road risk free for 30 days. After you've ridden around for a while, somewhere between falling in love with the feeling that cycling gives you and watching way too many Rafa and old race videos, you get inspired to take your cycling more seriously. You hunt around for answers to the thousands of questions that pop into your head, and to answer those questions, you read books, magazines, websites about training, nutrition, periodization. You hassle your friends that know a little about riding a bike, Then, eventually, if you keep hunting for answers, you find someone. Someone who has answers to your questions. Someone whose knowledge can directly help you. Someone who has the time to listen, take interest in you, and ultimately help you reach the next level. Someone that might not even know how much they're helping you. Someone like Scott, the unassuming mentor. It seems really obvious from what you're saying that in some ways you've assumed that role of mentor now like you're you're comfortable with that role well i guess i mean i'm old what scott doesn't realize is the impact he's had on one rider in particular sam sam is working his way to becoming a pro cyclist and scott is helping him get there so i guess scott is the only really older sort of previous generation or old school cyclist and he's very old school He's the only one that I've really sort of looked up to or listened to, I guess, because I've seen the performance. I've seen what he can do firsthand. I sort of trust what he has to say. Scott doesn't know this yet, but he's also helping another rider, Christian. Christian is 20 years his junior and also working towards becoming a pro cyclist. How is Scott helping him? Through Sam, because Sam has become to Christian what Scott is to Sam, his mentor. I'm Damien Roos and today we follow the story of two aspiring pro cyclists and one old dog that's assumed the role of mentor, helping Sam and Christian achieve their dream, mostly without even knowing it. And also how, in a small way, this is a story of the people and the information we choose to surround ourselves with and how this helps us make sense of our world. Cycling. This is Threshold, a show about finding the edge. So who is Scott and why would two budding pro cyclists listen to him? Actually, that's not super important. What's more important is that Scott has been a lot further down the path that both Sam and Christian are on. When I was really most motivated and really trying to be pro I did think that, oh, you know, something happened to 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 me and I couldn't walk. I 
life wouldn't be worth living. Like that's how much I loved it, and that's how how much I'm dedicated to it. Bit of time gives you a bit more perspective. <laughs> um, there's plenty of other things out there, but I think just when when you're in it, you almost need that mentality to do what you need to do to get to the level. In other words, even with more perspective on how this pursuit fits into general life, he gets it. He gets what it takes. You've got to be a bit selfish just with your own time because you need so much of it for the training. You need to be very intrinsically motivated. There's a lot of time you've got to get up. You know, no one's going to get you out of bed but, but yourself and your motivation. And a lot of successful cyclists are a little bit obsessive. Like you, I, I think it attracts people with that sort of personality that sort of find something that they like and can dedicate most of their time to it. That's what most cyclists I know that are successful and are really giving it a proper go are like. And certainly both Sam and Christian possess these traits in varying degrees. Take Sam, for example. Before becoming a cyclist, he was a competitive swimmer, but as he says, never had the desire to win. It wasn't until he got into cross-country running that he found his real motivator, something which has carried over to his cycling. When I got into cross-country, that's when I started really wanting to not necessarily win, but just be better than myself. So seeing that improvement was like the motivation that kept me going. The three traits of a successful cyclist that Scott mentions are not going to get Sam and Christian a pro contract on their own, though. The key to levelling up is information, specific information about things like nutrition, training and tactics, the same information you search for when you're just starting out. But this time, you need highly advanced information from a source that you can trust. A coach is the most obvious person to turn to, and it is a coach that many riders first turn to for this information, but Scott is not Sam's coach. He's not coach to anybody. And for me, this raises an interesting question. What is the role of a coach? Scott has his own ideas about this, which were partially formed by one of his own coaches. I've sort of walked a a fine line because he's got a coach. And so I know when I was growing up, like John, who coached me, like he really explained how important it was that you've got one coach and you've got to, you've got to follow that. In other words, Scott has his own specific boundaries and is careful not to step on other riders' coaches' toes. As a full disclaimer here, in the case of Sam, I'm that coach. I coach Sam. So we can get a bit of an insight into how I feel about Scott's role in Sam's development. For the record, I've got no problem with it. You see, I know what I can offer Sam, I know what I'm good at, but I'm only a part of a team around any athlete. I see an athlete as the centre of a system or a network of people that each play a very specific role in their development. Part of that is a personal relationship, a role that isn't always suited to a coach, something that Christian has experienced. There's been coaches along the way in in cricket and soccer that have been helpful but not not that personal relationship and um yeah really developing that as well in other words a coach is not there to be an athlete's friend not only that 
A coach can't be everywhere. In the peloton, when the shit goes down, or on a six-hour training ride, it's times like this the foundations for personal relationships are laid out and cemented. And in Scott, Sam, and Christian's cases, it was on rides like this that allowed mentoring advice to flow naturally. Sam actually rode with me to my first race out at Oakville, and yeah, on the way out for about an hour, he was just um talking race instructions and what not to do and all that. It's on the longer rides that Sam started to ask Scott about his cycling career. Five and six hour rides together, you got to talk about something. Um, I was pretty inquisitive, so about Scott's past and his pathway into sort of how he got into riding himself and got to the level he got to. The other natural thing that happens is that the talk is not all about bikes. I mean, what else do guys talk about on rides? I can come to him now with other things, you know, not cycling related, even sometimes girlfriend advice. Although he's, he's married, so that's not a path I want to head down yet, so I'm not sure about that yet. <laughs> yeah, I understand, like, six hours, you always kind of start talking about a lot of things. Yes. Including, he says, he's getting girlfriend advice from you. <laughs> well, there's a lot of time to kill. He's probably getting a lot of information about the native flora and fauna of Australia that he didn't really want to hear about either, but just take it with a day. <laughs> it's this physical and emotional availability that binds people together. And it's at this point that I want to bring up part of the reason Scott is such an unassuming mentor. I believe it's because he doesn't see the relationship in that way, and for good reason, because to Scott, he's just Sam's friend. Was there an obvious time where you just thought all of a sudden, oh, I'm okay, I'm his mentor, or you don't even think that yet? No, like I'd never thought about it, to be honest. It's sort of like, you know, I'd think, yeah, I'm his friend. A friend can also be a training buddy, so it's not surprising as Scott's mentor wasn't so much of a mentor, more a training buddy with benefits. If you look at the mentor relationship differently, like Scott does, then it opens up new possibilities to what a mentor can be. Something Scott experienced with his own mentor, Henk Vassen. This relationship wasn't so much about information. Scott and Vassen traded other types of valuable currency, namely motivation and confidence. What I got the most from Henk who um, helped me was having someone else that was very motivated to train. So it was just, you really fed off each other if I was having a, a a tougher day where I just wasn't feeling it, or, you know, probably would have turned a bit short. He'd be up and he'd make sure that we do the full ride and vice versa. And similarly, when you started to doubt yourself a bit, um, it really helped having someone else there that believed in you and sort of kept you kept you believing in yourself. Experiencing a low motivation day is very normal, even at the top level. The other side of a low day is a high day. In the case of any cyclist student, if you beat your master, it can change you forever. When you train with someone and maybe doing efforts together, and you, like the thing with, with Hank is, you know, I wasn't getting any results on the road, and he was winning most things at a national level at the time. And we'd go and do some hard hills together and, you know, I might have a good day and beat him. And that just gives you tremendous confidence to think, oh, okay, well, maybe I can. And then 
you know, the whole time he's in your ear telling you, yeah, you can totally do this. You're better than all these guys. Then you'll go out and, and race together and you do it once and then there's no turning back. So that, that's the other thing, I think, just to give you give you confidence when you're rubbing shoulders with someone that he's getting results even at a time when you might not be or you're still coming through the ranks. This idea was new to me, although it seems very natural when I think about it now. A mentor can also be the person that is right there with you, lifting you up when you're down and vice versa, not just providing information of where to sit in a peloton, but helping you get out the door and do the work and even providing a platform to spring over them. It's this flexibility that opens up mentorship to anything you want or need to get to the next level. It's most powerful when it starts as a natural progression from training buddy to friend to mentor. And that's why Scott doesn't even realize what rubs off on Sam is then passed on to Christian. And then Christian is probably going to pass that on to somebody else. But right now, Scott is helping both of them get to the next level on the path to becoming a pro. Radar. It's time for The Radar, the segment of the show where we find the stories behind the promise of performance enhancement. Luke Durbridge, who's one of the guys that's riding one, he gave me a call this year from Spain. He was on his normal loop. He's been out there for two hours and he stopped on the side of the road and said, mate, you know, this hub, it certainly works. This is Michael Freeberg, a former cyclist and a pretty handy one at that. Freeberg, eighth at the three-quarter point. He's doing a perfect ride here, raising the tempo as the distance begins to unfold. Here comes the Australian, looking for the line. Let's have a look at his finishing time, 104.7. And that means Freeberg finishes sixth in the kilometre. And that will be good enough, of course, to give him the gold medal as the overall world Omnium champion. He's looking at the scoreboard. I don't think he can believe what he's seeing, but I can. He came across a problem in the build-up to the world title. Here he is explaining what the problem he first set out to solve is. The developments that we were getting in in performance and stuff, doing steady state and um, tempo training, you know, the targeted training any coach would give. And then I was like, well, this is getting really difficult to do because once your tempo powers start getting up around the 330 to 350 watt mark, you're doing 45k an hour. And you can't physically train at 45k an hour because the physics of the situation don't allow it. So I really needed something that I could get in, you know, a two-hour tempo set at my 350 watts or 340 watts, but do it at an achievable speed. You know, 30k an hour would be beautiful or, you know, up a, up a climb, but you couldn't get climbs that long. So something to give me a 1% or 2% gradient on all the roads I ride on would be something that was perfect. I've thought about this in the past, and I'm sure many cyclists have as well. Why not just let down your tyres? I've tried letting your tyres down and all that sort of stuff, so I didn't have to make this thing. <laughs> um, but the problem with those things is that once you come to a hill, you know the resistance gets harder because it's, it's a rolling resistance type thing. Um, whereas with this one, you can do whatever you want to it. You know, If you send a command to the hub, it'll enact it. Well, how about other ways to slow you down? I was watching the, um, the documentary from Chris Froome the other day and he was talking about when he was a kid growing up in Kenya, he would ride around with his brakes on for 20 minutes at a time 
because he didn't have the big hills like the Europeans did. And I was like, mate, have I got something for you? <laughs> so, so it's a legitimate problem. <laughs> so we built the Air Hub. What's the Air Hub? So the Air Hub is a on-road computerized ergo that allows you to simulate mountain training on the flat. It's a self-powered Bluetooth controlled on-road ergo. Is this just a glorified and expensive way to slow you down? I asked Michael about validating the performance elements of adding up to 100 watts of extra resistance to a ride. There's quite a a lot of science that went into it before we took the leap of faith to go and um, put this into mass production. We had to get all our ducks in a row and see that it was actually not sort of like a gimmicky type going slower thing. You could actually use it to change the face of someone's career, if you wanted to put it that way. Because say if you were, you know, two metres tall, you would have to put out more power than you would if you were 160 centimetres tall when you're riding your bike. And it's that that accidental increase in riding power changes the way your your whole career would go. And if we were able to computer control this, we could make adjustments that you wouldn't even notice. So if if, for example, you wanted the hub to increase five watts every month, you know, after 10 months, you'd have 50 extra watts that you wouldn't have noticed the increase in. And it's almost like it was always there. And that's these little little one percenters that we try and pick up on when you use the training system. The training system he's talking about relates directly to the type of rider you are. First, though, it helps to understand the basic physics of riding a bike. So well, what happens is you've got an aerodynamic drag, which is related to your CDA. So before we get carried away here, I want to explain what CDA is and why it's important for a cyclist. So quoting directly from cyclingpowerlab.com, aerodynamic drag or CDA is air resistance attributed to an object. It is a product of an object's drag coefficient, CD, or slipperiness and its size. Critically, its frontal area a. Hence the scientific measurement of aerodynamic drag and the input required by a cycling power model is CD times A, written as CDA. A rider's aerodynamic drag is a critical factor in the speed he can achieve at a given level of power output and therefore a given level of fitness. CDA has the greatest effect on the speed given power or power given speed output on all but the hilliest courses and that minimizing drag is key to faster cycling. And you've also got your mass and the amount of power it takes to go up a hill they're not directly linked. So your riding power on flat ground is is directly proportional to your frontal surface area, yet your weight is not. Um, So when it comes to climbing a hill, the people that have got the highest surface area who are forced to train harder on the flats are able to go up the hills faster because they've done more work. This is why the ratio of a rider's power to CDA is probably far more important than that often quoted watts per kilo measure. This leads into the training system that the Air Hub can support. Here, he's talking about how the product can help you train as a different type of rider to your natural abilities. So our third mode is a mathematical matching where you can adjust the CDA to sort of simulate the physical conditions of a different size rider. You see the tall, skinny guys winning big tour stages and climbing hills really fast. 
if you could have the physical characteristics of a tall, skinny guy, except you're a short, fat guy, over the course of you know several months, you may be able to adapt to those almost almost natural ability of someone with those physical capabilities. We can now see the power of the Air Hub. Imagine doing all of the training with the CDA of a big 80 kilo rider if you're a little guy. In order to generate the power needed to train at normal levels, you need to adapt to training harder on the flats. And hopefully, in the end, you can adapt the way you generate that power and improve your flatland power output. Outside of this training system, there are a couple of obvious but unique situations where you can use the Air Hub. The first is training partners. It opens up new options for who you can ride with. Even um, training partners. Some people you don't like training with, but you have to because they're the only ones you can train with. That's one of the problems I had um, with my team in in Italy. Um, I was racing over there, and these guys were like in the you know seventy kilo around the seventy kilo mark, and I was about eighty. So you know when you're riding at four or five watts per kilo, that's an extra forty watts that you're putting out on the flat, and they really didn't like that riding that fast. So if I was to stick to my training program and you know get the most benefit out of um out of my time i'd have to go training by myself but then you bring in the mental aspects of well if you're training by yourself you don't really enjoy it and if you're not enjoying it you're not gonna train as hard you or you can train as hard but you're gonna burn out quicker and all these sort of things so it it really brings a sort of a freshness to it where you can do you can have your cake and eat it as well <laughs> is what i'm trying to say this also opens up specific training rides on those coach loathing bunch rides where if you prescribe a set wattage, it doesn't matter what speed the bunch is doing, you can stick at that number. In the future, it might even be possible to program entire workouts where resistance changes automatically, similar to Garmin Connect if you are familiar with that system. That way, you could be in the bunch doing a very specific workout and no one would even know. My first thoughts when I came across this were, it's expensive, I didn't understand it very well, it just looked like adding extra weight and possibly if it was going to slow you down by adding 100 watts. I didn't know what the benefit was. So while the science behind the promise of performance is not yet proven, I believe in the people behind it and the thinking behind it before it even rolled into production. So while I would hold back and you can't buy it until December, so hopefully things will line up then, I definitely think it is worth investigating further on keeping an eye on because it's definitely going to stir up a lot of interesting conversations. This is a bit of a free-form section of the show. I really felt that the last show just didn't allow me to keep you up to date with show news anything that's going on behind the scenes i want to first introduce to you the new guy at semi-pro cycling and it's jacob thanks damien hi everyone it's jacob here i'm delighted to be part of the semi-pro cycling team and look forward to bringing you a show that will not only give you the depth of information the podcast is known for but a wider view of competitive cycling including stories correspondence and exclusive interviews Jacob is the producer. He's the guy behind the majority of the sounds on the show. He does a lot of back-end work with the concepts for the show. And so he's going to be more and more incorporated into the show. First, I want to discuss why a new show. And I've got to say, a lot of it was probably just optimizing for interesting. 
just doing something new to keep the interest, not only your interest, but my interest, looking at cycling from a different perspective, but still covering the same sorts of topics. There are lots of things to look forward to, including a surprise coming next week. I don't want to say any more, except we've got a new format this week. There may be a whole new format next week, and it may be something that you just are big, big fans of. Threshold is hosted by Damian Roos, produced and mixed by Jacob Staley. Our theme music is K-Eyes by Ho, and our ad music is Spring Solstice by Puddington Beer, both used under Creative Commons. For more episodes, go to semiprocycling.com slash podcast. I'm Damian Roos. Thanks for listening.